there's a risk and reward with Richardson because you don't have, it's not like Moneyball where you have, you know, tremendous amounts of repetitions. You have 13 starts. But this is a kid with uber talent, uber talent. Now, this move changes the landscape of what we know, myself and everyone, of Colts football. This isn't Peyton Manning. It's not Andrew Luck. It isn't the style of play that we're used to since the Colts have been here when I came on the Mayflower. I really believe that the Colts actually targeted him and I think they would have taken him if he was the number if he, if they had the number one pick. Unfiltered, a brass tax approach. We're not wasting another second getting down to the nitty-gritty on Colts football with Rick Venturi. He's my guest this week on the Business and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Dick. Rick Venturi has been around football his entire life. Dad, a Hall of Fame high school coach in Illinois. So Rick got the gridiron bug early. He coached at Northwestern in Cleveland with the Browns. And before that, with the Colts in Indianapolis. Was on the staff that moved in the dark of night from Baltimore to Indy back in 1984. Now, after 41 years on the sidelines, He's in the broadcast booth, serving as a Colts game analyst alongside his play-by-play partner, Matt Taylor. Rick is bullish on the direction the Colts are taking. New quarterback and new coach. And it gives me a great deal of pleasure to welcome to the podcast this week, Rick Venturi, longtime NFL and college coach and current uh, Colts radio analyst. Rick, how are you? Gary, I'm fine. Uh, again, it's an honor to be on with you. I, I follow you as much as I can, particularly on the on the TV portion of it. But I'm doing really good. You know, I'm uh, alive and well, and you know, we've made it through the draft. Uh, we're getting into the uh, getting ready, basically, for training camp in, in a month, if you can believe that. Wow. So uh, all's well. I'm really happy to be working. You know, in the autumn of my life, to stay relevant is really important. Well, you're very relevant, and and, I, and I've got to say, you do your job exceptionally well. There are a few people who can break down football, you know, complex elements of football the way you do. You really do. I've always been re- really Im- impressed by that. You obviously do your home. You know football, but you obviously have to do a lot of homework, a lot of work to stay. You talk about relevant, to stay relevant, to stay up to date. What are you doing this time of year? We're almost to June as we're taping this. What are you doing this time of year? Well, basically, now that the schedule is out, I'm already starting to look at some of the tape from last year on our preseason games, which we obviously do those. And then I do put a lot of emphasis, even at this time of year, on our first four opponents. You know, I always, even as a coach, I used to cut the season into quarters. And so, you know, I'm going to be looking at a lot of tape, uh, putting down informations, and what I do is, and I do this for the fans, I mean, I I create a mock game plan as if I were coaching the game. And I think Matt and I do a really good job not to push our podcast, but every yeah. Wednesday during the season, we post up about four o'clock. And I really put a lot of work into that. And, you know, I, and you're right, uh, Gary, I, you know, I probably watch still 
25 hours of tape uh, a week, wow. to be honest with you, because what's really important is that you're staying current. I mean, the game changes, it evolves constantly, and I don't want to be one of those guys. And there are guys that just kind of uh, wing it. You yeah. know, when, when I talk to the fans, I mean, my hook is I'm going to give you a coaching perspective. You know, Matt tells you what happens, and I try to tell you why it happened. And really, you know, all these years of of, of work, that's, that's what I do. And I love doing it. I mean, it's a yeah. labor of love. Watching tape from me is, is a tonic. I mean, it's really, <laughs> it's, it, what's, it's what makes me go. Yeah, yeah. But you, you talk about giving people that, that coach's perspective. But I think what is special about what you do and how you do it is the fact that you make it understandable, I think, uh, for, the, uh, you know, for the common fan and you know, kind of the novice, if you will. You can break that down. I think that's probably a natural talent. I know you, I mean, I'm sure you try to do it as well. Well, I, I do try to do it. I, uh, you know, I'm a natural teacher. That's, that's what a coach was. That's what I did for 41 years. And when I, I look at the fans, I look at the players in my room. You know, we would have, for instance, if you're in the National Football League, you may have a guy, Gary, in the front row who has a, a 41 Wonderlick test score. You may have a guy in the back row that has a four. Now, your challenge as an NFL coach is to get both of those guys up to speed because you can't fail. You can't, you can't give them an F. You have to get them all up to speed. And so, you know, I've always felt that anyone can learn if the, if the teaching process is done in a real, in a manner that people can understand. Now, the other thing I do try to do, and this is part of my preparation, I want you to walk away from a podcast or from a game, and I want you to see something you hadn't thought about. So I'm going to delve into a matchup, whether it's an offensive guard on a tackle or an outside receiver or a scheme. I want you to come out of there and say, you know what? I got something from coach today. You know, I, do, I just don't want it to be a bland, you know, this is what it is. And, uh, and, and try to have a little fun with it, you know, make yeah. some some good old fashioned analogies and have a good time in that. But that does take preparation. I mean, uh, you know, your 17 weeks of games, a lot of times it's, can you say something a little bit different this week and, and yeah. make it just a little bit more graphic, a little bit more interesting. Okay. We're a couple of weeks uh, out from the 2023 draft. The Colts, I think generally speaking, things that I've seen, the Colts getting some pretty high marks. I've read and heard you talk about Anthony Richardson, the Colts' number one pick at quarterback, and you're you're high on that guy. Yeah, and I, I'll tell you what it to me, it started with the hiring of, of Shane Steichen, and and I'm and I'll carry that through to why that's important to the draft and to Richardson. I was very much in favor of Steichen from the beginning of the process for several reasons. One. He's a young, state-of-the-art X and O guy, which I believe you have to have in the National Football League. Can't get out coached on Sunday, and there's a lot of great ones. Number two, though, he's a quarterback master, but he has flexibility. You know, he's worked with a, a Rivers. He's worked with a Herbert. He just recently worked with Hertz. Um, he's hired a quarterback coach who's worked with Murray. So there is a volume that gave the Colts flexibility 
that they were going to be able to take any of those quarterbacks. In other words, with a coach like that, you are going to be locked into a certain guy or a certain type of guy. And to me, that opened the door then for the for the biggest one of all. Okay. Now, yeah. are there some risks? There's a risk and reward with Richardson because you don't have, it's not like Moneyball where you have, you know, tremendous amounts of repetitions. You have 13 starts. But this is a kid with uber talent, uber talent. Now, this move changes the landscape of what we know, myself and everyone, of Colts football. This isn't Peyton Manning. It's not Andrew Luck. It isn't the style of play that we're used to since the Colts have been here when I came on the Mayflower. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is totally different. Now, what is important, the reason I go back to Steichen, the merging of a guy who has just come off of two years of development of Jalen Hurts, who is the same type of quarterback as Richardson. Now, they're not, they're not exactly the same. There's differences. Hurts may have been just a little further along, a little more sophisticated because of having played the two and a half years at Alabama and Oklahoma and so forth. But the, the, the type of offense now is the same. And what's important is Steichen has gone through the growth process with Hurts. So he knows how not only to coach it on Sunday, but he knows how to take this kid from A to Z. And yeah. so, you know, what I see there is you're taking, uh, you know, were there safer picks? I don't know. But to me, to me, if you're a poker guy, this was drafting. This was drafting to a royal flush. This was sitting there like taking, holding a jack, a queen, and a king of spades, and you say, I'm rolling it. And I'll be honest with you. I will be honest with you. His his talent is, is as they say, unicorn. There's no yeah. question about it. The speed, the size, the ability to run, the, the ability to throw the ball deep. The release is really good. I mean, I've seen him now twice in person, real tight spiral. But where he grows on me, exponentially, I might say, is one, when you go back and you look at the test scores, he's got a very good test score. I mean, he, he can process, and that's really important because one of the reasons guys fail, particularly at the quarterback position from Saturday to Sunday, is because they can't have the cognitive to be able to process in that millisecond. It looks to me like he's going to have it, and I don't think Shane would have gone with him if he didn't. And then the other thing you like about him is when you're around him, he grows on you. I mean, this is yeah. a real rounded kid, uh, real family oriented. Uh, and he, all he ever talks about is work. There's no, there's none of that bull crap, you know, me deal. Yeah. I mean, he is talking about work ethic, what it's going to take. And that those things are so important because, and I, I believe that, I honestly believe in my heart, and you're going to get it unfiltered for me. You're not going to get a company line ever. I really believe that the Colts actually targeted him, and I think they would have taken him if he was the number if he, if they had the number one pick. Really I, interesting. I really huh? that. Yeah, I think they targeted him early in the draft, after the combine, and then. And I think Steichen made the determination to Chris and to Jim at that point. I can fix the deficiencies. I can take this talented kid and I can make him more accurate. I can help him with touch. I can do that, but this kid is special. And then the last month of the draft process 
is what I call the way of life test. And the way of life test in the NFL is, particularly with the quarterback, is one, uh, is, is one, does he have the cognitive power? Can he process quickly? Uh, you know, number two, does he have a great work at work ethic? Number three, does he have a charisma? Because I think that is more important at that position. Hard to define sometimes, harder at that position than the other positions. And when you walk out on the field and you just watch him and he walks out there, he I, I hate to use that term it. Yeah. But he has he's special. There's First of all, it's just the presence is there. And I don't know that I expected that, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. You know, the 13 starts playing on a bad team, but he yeah. has that special. You can see the players relate to him right away. So I think once he passed that test, I think they would have taken him over all comers, to be honest with you. So I think the combination of Steichen, and Richardson, if it were another coach, I may not feel as strongly. I believe we're really on the right track. Now, there's going to be some bumps in the roads. By no means am I saying we're a Super Bowl team, Al- yeah. although I also don't believe we were a 4-12-1 team. I think yeah, it right. got out of hand. It got chaotic. It just it wasn't good. But I think that that merging, that confluence of head coach who knows how to deal with this and the uber-talented kid with the desire to get there, I just think the Colts are really now on the right track. Now, it, I, don't, I don't necessarily think it's going to happen tomorrow, right. but I'm excited about, I would say, I would be excited about looking ahead with the Colts now. What do they need? What do the Colts need? Missing elements in your Yeah, view? that's a good question. You know, I, you know, people ask me all the time, and I'm going to really simplify this. I could get into about 26 specifics but there's three things that cause you to be four and 12 all right now you've already addressed several but the first thing is scoring okay scoring 17 you're you're 30th in the league 17 points a game number two and this is overlooked sometimes because of our quarterback issue and i don't think we can lose sight of this our defensive fourth quarter was terrible last year we were 31st in the league giving up 8.1 points every fourth quarter. There were several games that if we could just make a stop in the fourth quarter, we win the game. And then I think the thing that really got away from us is the turnover ratio, okay? In 2021, we were second in the league, number two, with a plus 14. At the end of 22, we dropped to the bottom. We go from two... Mm. To 32, we go from plus 14 to minus 13. So, in a nutshell, the, if you want to know why you went four and 12, it's fourth quarter defense, lack of scoring, and then this. I think the important thing is I've always said I think Ballard does a really good job second and third day. I mean, we we really have a good core. If you if you just say core, we have a good core. But I also believe that that's overrated, Gary. Okay, I think Mm. because of our hard salary cap and the way the NFL is structured, I think your 35th player and my 35th player will always be the same, to be honest (laughs) with you. Yeah, because all your money and particularly with the quarterback, you know, the quarterbacks just blowing contracts out of the water. Now, your your 85 percent of your money is going to be in 10 percent of your players. I mean, Uh that's the way it is in the NFL. And it's hard and fast and going to be that way. 
So what's really important, if you're going to win and you say, what do we need, is how good are you in the top 10 players on your roster? Who are the difference makers? In my opinion, that has been the weakness of this team. The lack, not the lack of decent players, but the lack of those game-changing, I call them ambient players because they keep coaches up at night. That lack (laughs) of that ambient guy. So we've taken a giant step with this draft because hit on Richardson and you have a tremendous game changer. You got a guy that can affect the game like running the ball, like the NCAA game on Saturday. And as far as, as much as they can bring him along with NFL concepts, which are third down red zone, two minutes, all that. So that that's where they've got to bring him along. But Number one, you've got to start there. That guy, you cannot win in the AFC without a game-changing quarterback. I think bringing Downs in the third-round pick, okay, because I think we lack explosion at mm-hmm. wide receiver. We have decent guys. I think they can be better with coordinating. But Pittman is a possession. He's scheme-dependent. Yeah. Pierce is a one-trick pony at this point. Take him deep, which he can do. Now, bringing in downs gives you an explosive slot who can separate. We need guys that can separate. We need guys that can take a four-yard gain and turn it into a 50-yard gain. Mm -hmm. So offensive explosiveness is really important. Obviously, our offensive line has to regroup and get like it was in 21, you know, with with a healthy Jonathan Taylor. I also think that we got behind in account a year ago. I think our offensive staff got caught napping. They didn't have a quarterback who could threaten the edge. They didn't have lead plays. And so when the Bear defense, which has evolved back into football, came in there, they stuffed Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Mm -hmm. Taylor was stuffed before he got hurt. Now you add Richardson to the equation, and I always say Richardson gives you 12-man football. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like uh, Lamar Jackson is and Jalen Hurts is. In other words, as a defensive coordinator now with those guys, I have to defend extra gaps on the edge. So how do you do that? Well, you freeze your outside linebackers and try to play a seven-man front, or you load the box with your safeties. Okay, if you freeze, what do you do? Now you're giving Jonathan a lot Mm -hmm. of room to run inside, okay? All that bare defense is going to make any difference because you're going to – stall people now if you bring your safeties down and load the box which most people will do now you're one-on-one on the outside all day and that's that's what you want now can our receivers do that obviously philadelphia you know they have Devonte smith and they went out what made philadelphia complete was when they made the, tr- the trade for aj brown because right. once you get that one-on-one you have to win those events so you know i think that's it i'm a little i'm a little concerned when you say needs I, I really didn't want to see us let uh, Gilmore out of the building, the corner. And, and I do think now we're going to, we brought in some draft picks and Brent and Rush particularly. So there'll be some competitive. I'm a little bit worried about that corner position. And we still haven't established that, that great rusher, that guy that on Tuesday night, I, I'm, you know, that great edge rusher that, you know, I, the way my prism, the way I look at your team and how good it is. I say to myself, on Tuesday night, I'm down there game planning, and I'm saying, which which guys do I 
schematically have to take out of this game mm-hmm. schematically and that's what i call an ambient guy he kept me up all night trying <laughs> to figure out what scheme i was going to use and so i think that outside pass rush we're good inside with buckner corner position is critical and then how fast we can integrate this what i'm going to call and it's this is going to be this is philadelphia too we're going to be the indianapolis eagles okay we're going to mm-hmm. run the quarterback-centric running offense that you run in the NCAA. Now, that's going to be easy for Richardson. When you install that, that that's, that's you know, RPOs, zone reads, those are not to just throw out bull terms, but those yeah. things are all, you know, now a part of pro football. That's easy. The key to Richardson, to me, in early development is how fast they can bring him along in, let's say, three to five, NFL concepts of dropback passing. I'm not talking about plays. I'm talking about concepts because in the end, no matter how good a runner, no matter how much NCAA you have, you still are going to have to play third down. You're going to have to play in the red zone and you're going to have to play two minutes. And those are all NFL concepts. So, you know, now I saw Hertz make tremendous strides from year one to year two. And we may, we may go through that growing pain Mm -hmm. as well. But I think the key to how fast success will come will be how fast Shane and company can incorporate the NFL concepts with his NCA. Now, once you get them both, it's like Philadelphia, devastating to defense. Yep. Well, Coach Venturi uh, talked about coming over on the Mayflower with the uh, then Baltimore Colts to Indianapolis. We'll talk about that and a lot more when the Business and Beyond podcast returns. Stay with us. At PNC Bank, we're committed to making a difference in the lives of our customers and communities by helping them move forward financially. As a Main Street Bank, we try to do right by our customers with every encounter. Our local teams offer personalized financial advice to help guide you in making the best decision. We're proud to be part of your community. PNC Bank. See how we can make a difference for you at PNC.com. Copyright 2022, the PNC Financial Services Group Bank. All rights reserved. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week is longtime NFL college coach and current Colts uh, radio analyst, Rick Venturi. And Rick, uh, in the first part of the uh, podcast, we talked about, or you mentioned coming over on the Mayflower. And uh, I was in uh, local TV news at that time. I covered that wall to wall back. And I remember that very well. We had Jim Ursay on the podcast uh, some months ago, and he, he had some funny stories about that night when it went down and the trucks, you know, coming up and, ch- you know, shifting gears. And he was worried that all of Baltimore was going to hear it. What do you remember about that whole adventure? Well, I, I remember it like it was yesterday, to be honest with you. It was a, it was a late, you know, late, late March day. And uh, Coach Hal Hunter came up to me and said, now you got to remember that the team ha- had been shopped for a year. I mean, we had, about a month before that, we were that far from becoming the Arizona Colts in Phoenix. Yeah. And then that, and the deal blew up. So, I mean, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't unusual for us to be 
uh-oh, you know, something could be happening. Well, Hal comes to me about one o'clock in the afternoon and he says, we're going to have a meeting. Frank Cush is coming back in town, which he was never in town in the offseason. And this is going to be a big one. So I said, okay. So we're supposed to have the meeting at 6.30. Two guys that they're not taking are having a racquetball game. So we have to wait till <laughs> 8.30 till the game is over. I mean, these are little, and I'll never forget this. So we get together. And remember, these were mom and pop organizations in those days. I mean, yeah. we we flew, we, we brought our whole franchise minus, you know, minus secretaries and things like that in two station wagons and Ursa's private plane. That was it. In 1982. So Jim calls us in and there's like eight coaches and a couple of scouts. We're like, there's like 10 people in a conference room. And Jim used to always, he doesn't do it now. He always used to <clears throat> clear his throat before he had something to say. And I'll never forget this. He cleared his throat <clears throat> and he said, man, the deal has been done. We're going to Indianapolis tonight. You will all assist in the move. And you will tell no one, not your wife, not your girlfriend. We will move with the secrecy of an embassy movie. And so, you know, we went to work. I personally took down every blackboard with a screwdriver. <laughs> the whiteboards and blackboards, that was my contribution. We worked. And then about 11 o'clock, a bus full of kids, what they do, they hire college kids. They don't tell them what they're going to do. And all of a sudden, they show up for the move. So all of a sudden, this just shows up, and here's all these kids getting out. They're gonna they're gonna do all the work, and then pretty soon, boom! These Keishan lines, or no, the the Mayflower lines start coming in. They start rolling in, and it's an ugly night. And of course, by then, leaks leaks yeah. have happened. Yeah, yeah. And every it was bizarre. I mean, it was an awful night. You've seen tapes of it there, but we worked and we worked. I, I mean, our equipment guys had to frisk down the college kids because they were just stealing cold stuff when they realized what they were doing. <laughs> and I guess it was probably, I, I'll never forget, I called Miss Sherry and I, I told her, honey, I, I'm going to be late tonight. And she goes, off season, late in those days? And she said, how late? I go, I might not be home at all. And she goes, well, that one's going to need an explanation. But anyway, right, right. We, got, we got through it, but then- Jim got us together about three o'clock and he said, okay, we've done everything we can do. Go home. We'll leave. I think it was a Monday. We'll leave on Monday from Dulles airport. Obviously we couldn't fly. I mean, we were people, not person, non grata then. Yeah. And right. we were, you know, we we're leaving at Monday out of, out of Dulles. And like I said, we, we flew the, almost the entire franchise in his private plane and got to Indy. Of course, Indy was not foreign to me because I'm a Midwest kid, as you know, yeah. grew up in the state of Illinois Graduated from Northwestern with two degrees, Big Ten guy, coached at Purdue. Coached at Purdue. I saw that. Yeah. So uh, I, you know, I, you know, in a way we were going back home and I, I like Baltimore. There wasn't anything wrong with that. But, you know, my wife and I were, she's from Rockford, Illinois, Marquette grad. I mean, we were coming back home to Indy and we had enough familiarity. I, I remember I had, we had driven through it on the way from Baltimore to Pekin where my parents lived over by Peoria. And there was that beautiful dome, the old Hoosier dome, sitting there driving right through town. I remember talking to my son in, in the back seat, and I said, Jason, this this place, this would make a great USFL team. Well, <laughs> <laughs> did I know we'd be coming in there the next year, but wow. it was it was all great. I can remember Bob and Hudnut walking. I think we had yeah. like 25,000 just yep. 
for a I was there. I, I was I was I mean, live reporting live on the floor, and they came in with their arms. Oh, um, yeah, it, up. yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, and and what we had gone through before the last six months in Baltimore, it was like I was like, oh my god, this is yeah. like, this is really cool. But yeah, and it, of course we were embraced. Unfortunately, we didn't have a team that was very good at all. Right. Yeah, and we couldn't. There was tremendous spirit here. We were embraced by everyone. But we couldn't really repay it. Now we found we did get to the playoffs in '87, but those first three years were awful going through it, and 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 we just couldn't give the fans, you know, really until the Manning era where it really took off. Yeah, what was it like? I I know because it was it was tough from a from a a talent perspective, a a a one loss win loss standpoint. The record was tough, and I know you know Bob Ursay with his reputation was a tough owner was a tough guy to work for what was what was that like it was that environment like oh Jim and I Jim and I have laughs to this day and because of who he was and how he did things I I I think that's why Jim is one of the best owners in the league today because he really the, the difference is his father made money outside of football like right. the traditional owners of that day Jim has done nothing but football Jim Jim grew up with us. I mean, he was in the meetings with us. He worked in equipment. He worked in personnel. He worked with us on the coaching staff. I mean, you know, he's done nothing but football. It's a whole different thing. And I think he learned from what not to do half the time from his father. But his father was just, I mean, we, we used to, it was a, a, a obviously a quiet joke. We call him the white tornado because when he came into town, I mean, something was going to happen. You know, in the offseason, we all had a rule. You got to be out of this building by 11 because, you know, he's an absentee owner in Baltimore. Yeah. And so when, you know, when he was coming into town, somebody was going to get fired that afternoon. You didn't know who it was, but somebody was going to get fired. So you wanted to stay out of the drive. You want to stay out of the firing range. Right. Oh, man. Uh, you're a lifelong football guy. You coached for many years. You mentioned you played, went to school and played at at, at Northwestern. You're so respected as a football mind, but the, the head coaching opportunities you got, it seems like you were not exactly dealt a, a, a great hand, if you if you will, whether it's Northwestern or some of the NFL uh, jobs as well. Yeah, there's there's no question about it. I, I guess if I guess I have two regrets, and they're not very strong because I'm really happy with I'm really happy with my life. I learned from every experience. Here I am in my you know my late seventies, and I'm doing something I absolutely love. It's a second. It's become really a second career. I'm right now, I'm now um, we just talked about it yesterday. I'm 12 years now in the broadcasting business. Wow, yeah, years coaching, and that included having my own talk show in St. Louis. So you know, but I guess if I, if I had two regrets, the first one is, and this is the most important one. I would have, I, I, we didn't get there. I would have loved to have walked off the field a world champion in the NFL. There's just you know, when I see that happen, you know, when I, 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 I mean, I, I watched the Notre Dame lacrosse kids won a national championship yeah, just the other day and yeah. I watched the game and the elation and the emotion and to do that on the NFL level. I mean, I, I just never had, I, I, we got close, but I never had that opportunity. And then I guess the second one would be if I would just would have loved to one time at an even playing field yeah. as a head coach, yeah. but it is what it is. You know, I raised my hand. You know, my dad, I remember when I took the Northwestern job, my dad said to me, you know, you know, he was my dad, Hall of Fame high school coach and just, you know, old wise man, you know, and he goes, yeah. why are you doing this? 
you know, and here I'm 31 years old. My God, I think I'm going to conquer the world. So why am I doing it? I'll be head coach of the Bears in five years. You know? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't even dream of failure. But I will say this: as bad as that failure was, it probably, it probably reshaped me. It, it probably, I probably learned from that experience. You know, just that I wasn't the center of the universe. I was on a real fast pace you know, climb. I mean, the head coach at 31 years old. Sure. Yeah. You know, you know, youngest hired, youngest fired. Well, I mean, but yeah, yeah. You know, I you know, I learned I didn't know it all. You know, I was one of those guys that because of my father, I was ahead of the game from a football standpoint. And I was good with the media. I, you know, I I learned my lessons well at Northwestern. But wisdom only comes in time. I was very volatile. I pushed people I pushed myself, but I pushed people around me just to exhaust you, you know, yeah. and it, you know, and I've learned over time, you know, that, and, and as they say, knowledge is acquirable, wisdom comes in time, you know, and that's, and I, I learned from every, every experience that I've had. I've been fortunate enough at the pro level, really to work with some of the great coaches of all mm-hmm. times, particularly defensively, Bud Carson, one of the greatest defensive coordinators, obviously Bill Belichick, Nick Saban. I mean, these are guys that I worked with and really shaped a lot of things that, you know, I, you know, that I believe in today. So again, those are small regrets. You know, maybe, maybe I walk off as a world champion as a, as a, as a broadcaster. There you go. Yeah. That would be, that would come close. (laughs) I think there are a lot of people here in Indy who would like to see that to be sure. (laughs) No doubt about it. You mentioned pushing yourself and, and, uh, you know, I read where you really, and I think it was when you were at the Browns as an assistant to, uh, to Bill Belichick, where you really reached the breaking point. I did, and that was probably the the second biggest day of my life. Gary, I was working, and, and I never blame Bill for this. Bill was a driver, but I was pushing myself. I, I wanted to, you know, I respected him so much. I wanted to please him, and I was following Nick Saban, which was a tough act. I was working, and, and this is no exaggeration, 17-hour days. Wow. Uh, I haven't had a cigarette since 1995, but I was smoking around the clock, <laughs> drinking coffee. They used to call it coaches blazing on nap- on napping. You know, I mean, <laughs> I was just pushing myself to an yeah. exhaustion level and finally just came apart at the seams. And one thing that was great, I ended up, I ended up coming back pretty quick. But one of the agreements for me to come back was to meet with the sports psychologist at the Cleveland Clinic, you know, for the remainder of the season, every morning, you know, I, I would go to him and my wife always had to be there and he would never say anything. And I, I kept saying to myself, damn it, what am I doing here? This is, yeah. this is bull crap. This is ridiculous. I just needed a good night's sleep, you know? And so we get to the very end of the season. And he says to me, he goes, I'm going to tell you what, coach, you're going to be just fine. You're not going to need medication. He said, you got one issue. He said, and that's football. You were driven. You fear failure so much. You were raised that way. And he said, take a deep breath. Get out on your motorcycle. He said, call it and let it go. And, you know, it was what he said. You will always be fine when you're in trouble. Take four deep breaths. Get back into it. And then I was fortunate enough that Jim Moore hired me in the New Orleans Saints. Now, this can only happen in the National Football League and for me. And it was the best thing of my life. I go from sports psychologist in Cleveland in 1995 
after the at midseason, I become the head coach of the of this New Orleans wow, Yeah. When Jim Moore resigns and the staffs the staff selected me because I had done it in Indy. And as one reporter said in New Orleans, I'll never forget this, that he said, you know, as we were going on and I was making it and I was solid because now I've got to take all these stress, uh, you know, teaching points and I've got to I've got to practically put them in there. And he said one day, he said, this this job is more important for Rick Venturi than it is the Saints. And it was it was a comeback, but under fire, you know, you could have maybe hidden as a position coach or something like that and gone on. But all of a sudden you're thrown into this again. But it really it, it kind of defined who I am and, you know, how to live my life better. I mean, I just you know, we were driven as kids. My father. My father, ex-Second World War, United States Marine, very successful head coach. I mean, we were driven with, you know, with success was everything. And failure was your fault. Nobody else's. We never blamed anybody. So, yeah. you know, those are those are two issues that the Northwestern disaster and then the, the, the meltdown in Cleveland. And yeah. boy, I'll tell you what, my life has been good since then. That's great. That's great. And, and, and do you sense, I mean, I, I I would sense being totally removed from it, but that there are coaches today, uh, certainly at the the NFL level, the college level, with all of the you know, things going on there, who face these, you know, these same pressures, these same situations that maybe are, you, you know, in need of help or to back away a little bit. Is that, do you see that out there? Uh, I don't think I don't think there's any question about it. I, I I just don't think there's any question about it. The NFL actually approached me when I was still coaching to the, they wanted me maybe to make a presentation or something to the to the industry. And I just didn't feel like I just didn't want to call attention to myself. I kind of wanted to put it in the, you know, put it in the rear view mirror and I never did it. But oh, you're absolutely right. And the pressures are worse today. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I you know, as the, the older I got. You would think that it would be better, but to me, it was worse. The pressure was more intense. You know, I think when you're young, you don't know what you don't know. Ignorance is bliss. I mean, you know, you know, as I, when I made decisions late in my career, Jimmy, I mean, I could measure everything that could go wrong and possibly yeah. would. And so, you know, and now with social media, you know, so many things today lack of practice time you know it's just mm -hmm. there's so many things that work kind of against coaching you know mm -hmm. and it's very very difficult i know sometimes when i'm i'm broadcasting now and we have a bad game and i walk in that plane and i see the coaches and their heads are down i always get to my seat and say thank you lord you know, I mean, <laughs> you, know I, you know i've been there i you know i've yeah. been there where you couldn't sleep and you you know, and you just agonized over a game. And the the intensity, and I've even said this to Sherry sometimes, what people don't understand is the intensity of the job on a daily basis. I mean, when you go into that practice field on Wednesday, you want to look great. You, you're trying to win that game on Wednesday. It's not just Sunday, you know, and you're in a very volatile with volatile men. Now I, I do miss that part of it. I love the yeah. I love I love two things. I love the teaching part of the game. I love teaching and may and I and I try to use that in broadcasting. And I love the bringing along of guys in that meeting room. I, I like really. I think the most fun I ever had was being position coach. To be honest with huh. you, because you're 
you know, you're directly coaching those guys every day, fundamentally and things like that. So in a long, in a long story, that's how it is. Okay. Coach, what, what, what's next? What, uh, what's your schedule like between now and opening weekend? What's going to keep you busy? Well, what I'll be doing is a, a lot of prep work, not a lot of on air work. I I'm, uh, you know, we'll probably do a midsummer podcast, but we don't really start those up until training camp. So most of my work here is early morning research, tape on the team, you know, putting ideas together. And then, you know, once once we get back, and I probably I have my I have a daughter in Sausalito, California. We probably will go out around July 4th. You know, nice. June yeah. is kind of our month to kind of enjoy ourselves. Sherry and I love Hoosier Park. I mean, we, we love horses together. So we, yeah. you know, we'll we'll try to get to every race we can yeah. and probably get out there. My son is right here, Nozo. So, you know, we spend some time on the lake. And then of course, once July starts, you know, once uh once we start, I love a Grand Park's just down the street for me. Yeah. Once the training camp starts, then it's it's really full metal jacket. Then it's every day because it's uh you know, with me, it's it's film viewing every day. It's ideas, putting ideas, putting them on paper, discussing them with Matt, the podcast. We do a roundtable on Monday night uh, and, you know, and then the games themselves. And I, I, I'll be honest with you, I prepare for those games just like I was coaching it. And you That's know great. what? It's it's great for me right now. As, as somebody somebody said once, I, I, I love the phrase that, you know, aging is a process. Getting old is a choice. You know, my knees aren't what they used to be, but <laughs> mentally, you know, I'm still hanging in there. Uh, that's great. And it's been really great to catch up, uh, Coach. You are really good at what you do, and Indianapolis Colts fans are very fortunate uh, to benefit from that knowledge and perspective. So thanks for joining us. Look forward to listening to you uh, uh, between now and the start of the season and obviously during the season. Thanks very much. Gary, thank you very much. It's been an honor. All right. And thank you for joining us on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. It is a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment, and beyond. And you can download all of our episodes and get Indiana Business News 24-7. All you have to do is go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.